On today's show, what are realistic expectations for Moni Bates? We're going to explain why it feels like he's going to spend a lot of time in the G League and why that's a good thing. Let's dive in. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. I'm Chris Manning. I cover the cast for a place like SB Nation and Cleveland Magazine and the Just Basketball Show. That man over there is Evan Damerel, the proprietor of One Right Down Euclid. As always, we have Jake Stevens on production. And thanks again to our friends at Astor Radio for the music on the intro. All right, we're going to talk about Amoni Bates today uh, in segment one. Segment two, we're going to talk about two Cavs signees on the margins post-draft. That's Craig, Craig Porter Jr., the Wichita State Guard, who's on a two-way deal, and Pete Nance. Younger brother of Larry Nance Jr., son of Larry Nance Sr., who the Cavs signed to an Exhibit 10 deal after he played at Northwestern and then a year at North Carolina. And segment three, Lamar Stevens got his option picked up. We'll talk about that. All right, Amoni Bates, Evan. What are your expectations for him year one coming on Eastern Michigan? Everything we know about him, where are you at in terms of what you think he might be able to do or not do this year? Well, I did say on Friday after we finished recording and I was deprived of sleep, I stayed up and wrote about Amoni Bates. Um, And I simply tweeted that he likely won't be a superstar, nor will he be like the permanent answer for Cleveland right out the gates. And that's because you look at him as a player and um, Leaf Tulane, when he was on the show with me, mentioned that like he's the best pure shooting prospect like from a player of like his size and just mold as a wing player um, in this NBA draft class. But there's a lot of concerns that come with Amoni Bates. Um, there's the off the court stuff. There's the fact that like he does a lot of things on the court that like give you reason for concern and maybe Cleveland looks at the five-star high school recruit, the guy that was called Kevin Durant jr. Which is super unfair and super unrealistic by the way, for any kid like drives me up a wall when people, it's like when people compare Trey to Steph Curry when Trey was um, at Oklahoma, but either way, um, he just needs a lot of room to grow. He needs a lot of room to develop. I think that's why you utilize these two-way contracts and you pick these guys in the second round because you want to put them on two-way contracts. Um, ditto for Porter Jr., who they signed out of Wichita State as a UDFA immediately after the draft to a two-way deal. Chris Fedor reported that the plan is for now that Isaiah Mobley will stay on a two-way mm-hmm. contract with Cleveland. Um, you had mentioned Pete Nance, who we'll talk about in a bit. He's on an Exhibit 10 deal. That means he'll be there for summer league and training camp, and he could be eligible to sign a two-way deal. So we'll see where it goes from there. But just focusing on Bates, he needs time to play and time to develop and grow as a player. Um, And he's not going to get any of that with the Cavs. He's going to get it with the charge. Let's just assume Mike Garrity's coaching them next year. Um, And he kind of grows and develops at the same rate that the Cavs kind of want to see because they use the same system. They use the same terminology as the main club does, but like the charge at least allow Moni Bates to like grow and learn from his mistakes and also give the front office a lot more footage other than like practice stuff um, or like beat test stuff or whatever, just because you need like actual game footage of him playing like professional level basketball because 
there are some great moments from him at Eastern Michigan, but there's also a lot of bad moments too. Where like he's such a polarizing prospect. That what I am curious to just see how they handle this is just what they kind of empower him to do with the G League level. I, we're making the assumption that I think it's we'll see. What, I think it's two way deal makes sense for him. I think they would probably want to get more veteran options on the main roster. Mm-hmm. This isn't like a Christian Brown or some of the other wings in this draft that I think you could have given a real contract to and said, maybe we can squeeze you in here or there. Mm-hmm. I think when you think about him in the G League, I, you want to see him do his thing there and do the things he's good at, which is, you know, pull like taking pull-up threes and shot creation and the things that, have, that made him a standout prospect in the first place. And then how does he improve at the things he's not good at as well, right? Like, I, I think if he gets random minutes here or there at the NBA level, that's cool. But I think to start, let's see what he does and at the and how he plays in the ways that the things are you're not good at. Because you're right, this is not a guy that is gonna get to be a lead option when he if he if and when he makes the NBA. He's gonna be a guy that's like your third or fourth option on offense and is catch and shoot and attacks closeouts and like does stuff that is not like play with the ball in your hands all the time. How he adjusts to that kind of role and how they move him to that is one of the biggest indicators to to, to where he's gonna be. And more than anything, um, folks kind of want to ignore this part. He was objectively a horrendous defensive player at Eastern Michigan. Um, Turnstile is a good way to describe it. He's really bad at point of attack. He doesn't understand help defensive concepts. And J.D. Bakerstaff is a guy who would rather lean on his vets than he would rookies. I think people sometimes get frustrated with that when maybe Bakerstaff wouldn't turn to some of the younger players at times, especially just like in his time at Memphis and Houston. Um, and just looking at it now, like this is a guy you pick in the second round. Um, yeah, he might get an opportunity somehow, like if, whether it's injuries or the Cavs are just arresting a bunch of players or it's the end of the season, whatever. But like the easiest way to get minutes on the J.B. Bickerstaff team is to play defense. And Amoni Bates is just he's he's not good defensively. And like, to be fair, Eastern Michigan was the worst defensive team in basketball last season. But Bates was pretty bad. And like, it's a little bit red flagish where you're like okay there's a guy who's like this bad defensively and you have to believe like maybe he cares because it is an effort and focus thing but you have to wonder like he may not just be a good defender at the, at the nba level if he was just this bad at the collegiate level and it's not just at eastern michigan he was bad at uh memphis as well when he played them the other the other thing evan that i think will be really paramount to him working is there's going to be a lot of stuff that i think we don't see or don't see day to day or have to like take his word for or take like coaching staff his word for. Um, there's growth for him to come off the court in terms of the weight room, in terms of skill development, in terms of the, what kind of work it's put in off of there, all the, the stuff you don't see. But then also, you know, how does he improve as, as an adult? Like, I mean, this is a guy that's really young that has had a very interesting last couple of years, how he adjusts to the pro game and adjusts to, you know, maybe playing in front of like, not as, not as many people as he might have played at at like Memphis, and I'm sure like last year an adjustment for him. But it's going to be a different environment playing in the G League. I'm sure it's not what he necessarily envisioned like two years ago. So like all of this is going to just I think be a journey for him. And I, I'm sure like you know we Kobe Altman. I don't know when he'll talk next. We haven't heard from Bates in like nope. a media in a media sense since the draft. You've seen some tweets and things and some Instagram posts, but. I think that this is going to be a journey. I think this yeah. is year one of like a multi-year journey, both in terms of the Encore product for him and, and where he's going as a, as a human. Like all of this is going to be a very long process to me, it feels like. Oh, I, I agree. And if there is a path 
for Amoni Bates to be an impact player for Cleveland, whether it's towards the end of this season, maybe it's sooner into this upcoming season, or it's just the start of the 24-25 campaign is he likes to shoot. Like I said, he, according to Leaf, was one of the best pure shooting prospects in this draft class. Um, and like the, the strokes and the mechanics are there. He's very comfortable shooting the basketball. I think he had like seven or eight attempts per game for Eastern Michigan last season. But it's more so you don't want the guy who is so predictable on offense when he has the ball in his hand. So I wonder if the Cavs really focus in on the fact like he could be a movement shooter for them or a guy that like is able to work within the flow of the offense off ball. And then when he gets the ball, he just rips it from three because he is a good perimeter shooter and maybe he's more limited in that sense. But there is a path for him to be a viable rotation player. You just have to hammer it home with him and iron out a lot of the wrinkles and maybe some of the concerns that come with having a money base on your roster. And the best way to do that's just it's at the G League level. I've been over under a year and a half before Amoni Bates is ready to get a shot at NBA minutes. Well, considering he's so young, too, I'm going to take over on it. Same. I'm, I would say. Maybe the early next year you start seeing like some stuff, but I'd feel more. I feel like it's going to be, you know, a year, year and a half. And I think like you're getting into like a year, a full year in the G League. And then we take that data, but I would lean the over as well. Mm hmm. Like, I, I always forget he was 17 when he started playing at Memphis. Really young. And really young. He's incredibly young, incredibly raw. There's a there's something there. And I think there's an idea of what Amoni Bates can be. I think the Cavs need to figure out what he could be as a player now, just at the professional level, because he's so young, he's so raw, he's so unrefined, and there's a lot of good there. You just got to put it together and kind of figure it out bit by bit. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part must fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just head to right to my garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed to get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guarantee fit only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only and exclusions apply. All right, let's move on to Craig Porter Jr. and Pete Nance. Uh, Porter Jr., Evan, is like a really interesting two-way thing to me because he's mm -hmm. 23, so he's older. He theoretically like should be a little bit more closer to a finished product. He's a JUCO product, so we really had to grind to get to Wichita State and then get to the league. He was not like a top 60 prospect on most boards, but like was in the 80 range. A decent frame, 6'1", 6'4". You know, I, I, I went and crushed a bunch of clips of him. He plays patiently, kind of unsure what the athleticism is going to translate for him. I, I think, Evan, that bet here to me feels like this is a older kind of guard they like, and they're, I think, angling that maybe he can be a backup point guard at some point from that to me feels like kind of what this bet is with Craig Porter jr. Yeah. He, uh, I said this the other day when um, it was like just put into the ether, like soon after the draft um, that he signed a two way deal with Cleveland, like Craig Porter jr. 
my concern with him is like he's just not the greatest shooter like he's an athlete i think he plays really hard on defense like that's interesting like he is patient as you said on offense too um and they're they're again he's probably more nba ready comparatively to uh amoni bates just like in terms of just like skill set and overall like what he can be as a player but he still needs that time to grow and develop but what I said was, is like, he may not be the best shooter, but he's just like a really good basketball player. Like he does a lot of just like the smart things on the court. And you're like, yeah, that, that works. And I looked at it in the sense of he likely won't play for Cleveland this season. Maybe he does in random scenarios or something like that. But if you're the Cavs, you're thinking like, OK, if we can develop this kid, maybe figure out what he is at the NBA level. Maybe he's not a shooter, but he's able to be the table setter on offense or a guy who can play off of the spacing of like Garland or Mitchell. Maybe he is the I, I want to put it all out there, but like the heir apparent to like replacing Ricky Rubio as the backup point guard next season or maybe a year and a half into his NBA career. The other part of this that I think is wild with him is he's like got incredible block numbers for a guard. 1.5 per game last year as a guard, 1.1 the year before. Those are absurd numbers for a guard, much less a guard who's not like huge. It's not like this is a guy with like a freakish wingspan. The block numbers are crazy. I am fascinated to see how he, if that translates. I have no idea that like the way he blocks shots and him doing that. I, I cannot wait to see how that might happen if if that's like a skill with him that actually can translate to the next level. Yeah. Um, he's really athletic. He's got a ton of bounce and I think that really helps with the block. I think the steals are really impressive too. I learned this as I'm reading more, like just having some like fun facts and things, just the numbers too. <clears throat> and Wichita State's the same school that produced Fred Van Fleet, but um, Craig Porter Jr. is the first player in Wichita State history to lead the team in rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks, which is kind of crazy to think about because that's your point guard. But we'll see how he looks. I think I, I'm going to be curious to see how Money Bates looks, of course, just because Cleveland's draft pick. I think there's a lot of intrigue with him in general, no matter which team he ended up on. But like Craig Porter Jr. is a guy I'm like, yeah, I, I, get, I get the vision with it. Um, and he's going to be somebody I'm watching quite a bit during summer league play, just to kind of get a better understanding of how he fits with what Cleveland's building, or maybe like, does he have like a path to become like Cleveland's backup point guard? Because using the charge to develop back end rotation talent is a great thing. Other name that they've, they've added via an exhibit 10 deal, which means they can sign him to a two way deal and, and whatnot is Pete Nance. Obviously the younger brother of Larry Nance, the junior, the son of Larry Nance senior, uh, played at Northwestern, then used his extra eligibility to go play North Carolina for one season last year. So from a, from a scout, Evan, I talked to you, saw him at the Portsmouth Invitational. You could they, they talked a lot about how you could see his game contributing to winning with screening and cutting. Mm-hmm. Passing is kind of interesting for him. He's 6'10", 230, I think could get a little bit stronger. The weirdest thing is like he has really he has pretty decent like three-point percentages, but the jumper's really flat, and he's kind of inconsistent. I But I, I even... Like you can look at this, I think cynically, if you wanted to, and be like, "Oh, they signed a Nance. Like that's just like a PR, like a little PR victory." And I, I think that that's not not true. That this is kind of a PR win and kind of mm-hmm. cool that they can say another Nance is here. But I think even if he also again, it wasn't like a top sixty prospect that slipped out. I there's something to the way he plays that I th- I like. It just can it figure out and can it get elevated at the next level? I'm curious. Just like this is a gr- this is the kind of guy that even if you don't fully control him on a two way. I think is a good guy to have around on your on your G League roster if that's where this ends up. 
Yeah, uh, let's just assume he doesn't get that two-way deal. Um, I would be very surprised if he doesn't end up with the charge and maybe is a guy that they keep developing and the Cavs shuffle the deck chairs a little bit um, and just sign or sign uh, like Isaiah Mobley to a permanent contract and they put Pete Nance on a two-way deal. But like, as you said, like there is some intrigue there. He's not super athletic. Like you said, he does make a lot of winning plays, a lot of hustle plays. He's a guy I paid attention to at least just because like, he went to Revere. Um, he was at Northwestern, and then he went to North Carolina. And like North Carolina was not bad this year. So, and they're also like a blue blood program. So he saw quite a bit of Pete Nance. And I think the biggest injury for him is like he can be a floor stretching big man. I think he is similar to his brother, someone in that vein, where like he can be that guy who gives you like that jack of all trades, masters, master of none. But he's able to provide you some three point shooting like that. That could be. An interesting wrinkle because the Cavs need that type of just firepower a little bit in terms of just like stretchiness from their bigs at times. And Pete Nance doesn't have to be the dude that comes in and plays 25, 30 minutes a night for the Cavs right away, nor will he probably ever. But like if he's a guy that the Cavs flesh out and develop a little bit, he becomes like your Lamar Stevens type power forward or maybe like he's a 3-4 type player, a 4-3 rather type player. Um You'd much rather have a guy like Pete Nance than I think you would Lamar Stevens because you're trading defense, which Lamar is really good at, for three-point shooting, which is something Pete Nance is really good at. So it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. I agree with you. It's not a nepotism high. I think there is something there, or a nepotism signing, rather, but I I think there's something there. It's just going to take a little bit of work to kind of flesh out what Pete Nance can be as a player, and I, I think he could be... It kind of just like a kind of like a fun little bench wrinkle. And I think just like, you know, the Nance storyline through line through just makes it a little bit more compelling and fun, at least uh, for the Cavs. I would be, I, I'm curious to see. I think we should maybe we'll maybe get someone on who saw him in North UNC. Um, we should have Patrick Andres on to talk about his time in Northwestern <laughs> that we, we probably should. But I would be curious to see like what the drop off was percentage wise for him from North and Western of the one year UNC. So he starts out, this is just like a percentage thing. You look at his sports reference page and this is like interesting to track. So year one, it is freshman year at Northwestern 1.73s per game, 26.3% from three year two, 3.4 attempts, which is a career high 29.7% from three junior year. Uh, he took 2.8 a game, 36.4% as a senior at Northwestern. 3.1 a game shot, 45.2% of a very high number throughout there. And then one year UNC took 3.3 a game, um, much higher percentage of his overall shots because he took 7.7 shots a game, so like um, close to half. And he shot 32% on three in his one year in North Carolina. So like that was a big drop-off. Last mm-hmm. year, though, was also his best uh, free throw shooting season in college, 81.6% on 2.9 attempts per game. The last three years, he was 78 point, 78% or 76% and above, depending on the year. So like mm-hmm. there, there's like data that would lead you to think he can't shoot. Last year just is like, oh, he shot 32% of the college level. That's not indicative of a guy who's going to necessarily be like a lights out shooter. I'm really curious to see. I assume he's going to be at Summer League on this. I, he's kind of yeah. one of the guys that, especially if the Summer League last roster ends up being kind of bare bones, kind of curious to see if he just like let's, let's breeze fly in that setting. Yeah, that would be fun to see. Um, just this, I don't know. He, he, like Craig Porter Jr. in a money bait, it's like the, the Cavs have added some pretty interesting dudes. Like what if Luke Travers comes over to play in summer league or like what if Khalifa Jop makes an appearance too? Like those guys are interesting too. Cause you can kind of see like 
what's different about what's different from those two just because it's been roughly a year since like you or i have probably sat down and like watched either of them play like serious competitive basketball um for nance though it is interesting because like you said like he does project to be a shooter um he's 6'10 he is effective as like a pick and roll big man too and like kind of provides his winning plays and like the passing stuff too but like there's two big knocks on him. One, he's a five-year college player, so he played four years at Northwestern, his final year at North Carolina. Um, and then two, he's, because of the athleticism concerns that he has, like, he's not good defensively. Like, he gets picked apart on defense, and, like, the, there could be something there, but he's, like, not the same level of, like, defender his brother is currently, or certainly not the same level of defender his dad was. No. He, this is a long shot, but I think it's one worth diving into. All right, last segment. Let's talk about Lamar Stevens. Cavs picked up his $1.9 million option for next year. But Evan, here's here's the thing I think people should keep in mind with this. This is not guaranteed up until January 10th of 2024. He could still be waived at no cost for someone on the market. He could be traded to give a little bit of side relief to another team in a trade if they wanted to do that. I like Lamar. He's good depth for, for that money. I think he's a guy that is a good positive influence in the locker room, has good size. I think he's like a solid enough guy you can turn to at times. But this isn't a fully guaranteed thing. This isn't like he is locked in as a rotation guy or locked in as beyond this year. This is just like, I think, a very basic bit of accounting for Cleveland at this current moment. Uh, I mean, yeah. Why wouldn't you? Like you said, like the, the guarantees don't kick in until January 2024, like mid-January 2024. So, like, you have a lot of time. I, I would doubt Cleveland trades him, plus he's making pennies on the dollar comparatively. And, like, Lamar sure has his flaws. He doesn't provide you that shooting upside. Like, people talk about how he should play over Isaac Okoro, and I'm like, brother. In the playoffs, I'm like, brother, Isaac Okoro may be struggling from three, but, like, defenses will not respect Lamar Stevens at all out there, even though then Stevens ripped and made a three-pointer in that situation. So, what do I know? Maybe they should host the podcast, but... Um, Lamar, like you said, he's a good culture guy. He's a good locker room guy. He's a guy everyone kind of gravitates to on that team. Um, and I, it's just, it's simple calculus. It's simple accounting, as you said, uh, that the Cavs just made the right call on this one. And like, I, I don't think they trade him, but like, it does remain like a back pocket option. If the Cavs are like, okay, we still need to have a pretty clear need here. Let's cobble together some of these salaries we have. Hey, Lamar, your money's not guaranteed, so we're going to ship you off to this team. Um, pretty, pretty similarly to what they did to Jordan Bell, uh, the, the, the OG, OG junkyard dog. So, um, yeah. More faith have an extra in Dean Wade or Lamar Stevens? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Lamar Stevens, because he's just consistent. He plays with a lot of energy, plays defense. And I think we kind of know what he is as a player. Dean Wade, I think it's fair to question, like, oof. Um, he did not look right after that shoulder injury, and the confidence definitely evaporated pretty quickly after that. So if Dean Wade's right, yeah, it's Dean Wade. But, like, Lamar has been fairly consistent whenever he does get, like, sizable minutes for the Cavs. What about you? I go Lamar just because like I fully understand what he is and I think he knows what he is and it still feels like Dean Wade is Dean Wade is like searching for that a little bit. Yeah, that doesn't mean that the, the thing is like the optimized version of Dean Wade like clearly just because he can shoot and teams respect the shot a little bit and he like just has a little more kind of like make stuff happen energy with him a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. Steve and like well, look, we're in year we're heading into year four of Stevens. Like we kind of like I think he kind of is what he is at this point. He did play career high minutes last year, but like career low, you know, in terms of overall field goal percentage on on twos did have a career best at three, but that was only like thirty one point six percent. It's literally just like intangible stuff and rebounding stuff with Lamar and defensive stuff. And I also wonder, like, would he look a little bit better if he got to be in a situation where there was more shooting and just the structure of the roster kind of allowed for someone like him to exist with a little bit more ease. But I just feel like I know what he is and he knows what Mm -hmm. he is. And I don't know if we always feel that with with Dean Wade. Yeah. And again, if Dean Wade looked right or maybe if that shoulder injury didn't happen, we'd have a clear understanding just because I genuinely think the plan was like, hey, Dean Wade is going to be our stretch big or maybe even our starting small forward at times as well um, this season. And that's why they faced Kevin Love out of the rotation. And that's what led to Kevin Love being bought out, joining the Miami Heat, then uh, reaching the NBA Finals. So um, it's an interesting thought process, but like the, the Cavs put a lot of their eggs in the Dean Wade basket and it, it didn't work out. And I think that shoulder injury was like unfortunately timed. And then it just really sapped any momentum or anything positive going for Dean Wade. Uh, just for the remainder of the season and it just became very evident that like yeah like you said like he does he's kind of figuring out who he is as a player i think he's trying to figure out who he is just like within the offense and i wonder if it's a coaching thing maybe it's a teammate thing but like he just needs to rip it every time he gets the ball because he's going to be relatively open because he's going to be playing off of four guys typically if it's just the starting lineup that are going to be commanding much more defensive attention than him Let's end there. I'm Chris Manning. That's Evan Damrell. Every day we'll be back tomorrow with more daily Cleveland Cavaliers content. Thanks again to Jake Stevens for production.